Hey there, listeners. Just a quick message before we jump into today's episode of George and I talking all things coronavirus. Um, We are obviously on lockdown in the UK, and George and I recorded this separately, but uh, I think one of us had a bit of a patchy internet connection for some of this early part of the conversation, so the audio quality is a little patchy for the first sort of 15 minutes or so it does improve uh so it gets better throughout the episode but apologies for that and we are working on rectifying it for the next episodes uh so yes uh just bear with us on that in the early part of the episode and also you can check out our brand new site which we talk about in the episode speakinggenerally.com where we're going to be posting blogs regularly i've been posting some stuff about coronavirus Uh, we'll talk about upcoming episodes and obviously a bit about everything recommendations books movies art all the stuff we like to talk about Uh, so check that out at speakinggenerally.com all right on to the conversation enjoy Hello there, listeners, and welcome back to the Speaking Generally podcast. And dare I say, George, things have changed a little bit since we recorded our last episode. Um, I think between us putting out the last one, human civilization effectively ended as we know it. So things are a little... I'm still sat at home in my pants, Steve. (laughs) <laughs> Good point. You you haven't turned on the news, so maybe you haven't heard, George, but we are in a global pandemic. Well, I, I have heard, and I think it's more that my lifestyle has been vindicated by it. <laughs> right, so you feel that this is your time now. You've really... Everyone's just caught up with you, the man ahead of the game. Well, I mean, you too, Steve. Let's, let's be honest, you're in your pants at home most of the time as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, not obviously not to make light of what is a severe global catastrophe at the moment. But um, what in terms of what it means for George and I, I guess at the moment it's not meant a great deal because we are men who enjoy being indoors, doing indoorsy things, books, movies. For me, video games. For George, I don't know, a jigsaw or something. Come on. Um, <laughs> a little old fellow with a jigsaw and a cup of tea. Um, but yeah, we... Uh, the last time we recorded an episode, I was in Tokyo and things were kicking off a bit, as it were, globally, but it was kind of contained a bit more to East Asia. There was some cases in Europe, but it, it didn't look like we were going to be anything like the position we're in now, where there are tons of, you know, country, Western countries on lockdown. And uh, yeah, things have, things have changed a lot. I'd say this is an interesting sort of diary, George, of the moment. So I'm happy we're recording this because as, yeah, as we speak, you know, many countries in Europe locked down and the United States is sort of in varying cases of it. But we're sort of very much in the thick of it, wouldn't you say? Yeah, for sure. Like, again, not, not to, like we're not joking about it. It's kind of insane that our state, we're in the UK and plenty of other states have sort of enforced the lifestyle that we normally sort of do day to day on the vast majority of the population. People are being told by their government to stay at home, not go to work, um, and sort of <laughs> sit, sit in your pants and read for a while and try and ride this thing out because it's, it's, that's kind of a crazy thing to take on board, right? It's what the last day of March as we're recording this and even 
four what, four weeks ago. I suppose it's a bit like the head in the sand ostrich thing, but four weeks ago, the world did not look like this in general. Um, parts of it did, but the fact that it's spread and kind of hit and affected everyone is it's incredible. It's, it's not something I've seen in my lifetime. No, and, and the idea of mass lockdowns like enforced by the government is so, you know, it does evoke this strange sort of wartime emergency feeling that, yeah, again, you and I have not felt at any point in our lives. Um, so it's, uh, it's unusual. And I was, and by the way, George, you know, you're characterizing it, you know, it, this is our lifestyle. I, I just say to people, we do, we do go out and do things. We, we're not two weird little hermits, but, but, but yes, we, we, we work from home. We work remotely. We yeah, I like the idea that it's an time. alternative lifestyle that we subscribe to, like nudism yeah, exactly. or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Like with the with the fellas who grow their own food in allotment, who are winning now, like our little vegetable patch. Um, yeah, but uh, but it does seem strange that the whole world is doing things that we now probably have taken for granted. Like the whole world is discovering Zoom as a yeah. meeting app, which is something our company, uh, mine and Matt's company, is used for like forever and. Yeah, and obviously you've done most of your work remotely and freelance. So it, it seems weird that how many people are sort of doing video conference meetings and it's like a novel thing. Um, we are in, I, I think that, you know, to sort of get into it, we are, I think we're seeing a lot of trends that are already been on their way, just basically being accelerated by this whole crisis where Definitely. I think the remote working, the remote working thing is taking a massive leap forward where i think it was sort of trickling that way and i think more and more companies will at least see the possibility of remote working and will probably i could even see a future where there's a lot more hybrid things like even with remote learning or teaching i i could see that not taking over but being more of an i i think it will carve out more space if you like the remote well, for sure. Like I mean, delivery. one of the f first sort of silly memes that popped up when I sort of was following this was that the idea of, oh, wow, look how many of those meetings we had could have been done over email. And that that's like really telling, I think, so much of the stuff we do has a sort of face-to-face -face component arbitrarily imposed on it. You can get loads of stuff done remotely for sure. Um, but there, there are obviously great advantages to being in the same place as other people for like idea creation and stuff like that but it definitely does legitimize different opportunities for people working remotely yeah. my suspicion is that obviously some companies just can't function without having their people on the ground of course ground as it were but, but i think some office-based ones will see potentially be surprised at how much they're able to just keep things going at a normal pace where now they're remote i think some of them will be like oh we're actually we can do all of that you know, and, and so that'll be interesting to see which ones just basically continue as normal. Um, yeah, but uh, it's, you know, even delivery services, I think that's just accelerating more, like more people just going to get comfortable with getting all their shopping delivered or everything they need. It was already tending that way, but I think there was still people resistant. And I again, I just think more and more people will think about that option. And I think particularly in the you know, long term, there's long term. There's the optimism, right? That that they're searching for a vaccine, and the scientists seem pretty confident that 
that's perfectly viable. It's just a matter of time. But then I think I think it may have like ramifications that will change unless it unless we're talking this happens for like three months, right? And then we're relatively back to normal. But if it's longer, I feel like those echoes will be heard through the way people think about like being in a crowd or you know you know it'll take time right for people to get used to to get comfortable again with being in the thick of things with tons of people around and I, I just think it might change things for a bit well there was something I, I heard on another podcast where they, they were talking about how with the kind of controls that are now in place right like keeping a distance from people not being in these public spaces watching anything from before this flagged up you suddenly like double question everyone's behavior like watching a film of loads of people in a pub or in a bar or something just like shaking hands hugging everyone you think oh that's really gross there's a really bad chance they could spread stuff um it it definitely changes how you perceive our normal social interactions i think and that that will have ramifications for sure yeah, that's already happened to me in mild ways where I feel it it feels strange. The I know it sounds like extreme, but it feels strange the idea of going in for a hug with someone now. It feels like a, a new, a more of a fraught act. Or the idea, say, I went in a room and just shook eight people's hands that I don't, don't know. Yeah, I yeah. think that would take me a while. I, I can't think now where, how long is that going to be where I feel comfortable doing that? Probably quite a while. Um, yeah, because bit, why would I think that? Why would I think by July I want to shake a room of hands who <laughs> may still have this? Um, yeah, but also like now. it, it makes you think. Um, I don't know, like the statistics for how much people wash their hands after they go to the bathroom are pretty shocking. You know, it's like across Europe, it averages out like sixty-five percent of people do it. You know, that sort of thing. And you just think coronavirus or not it's like do i want to be shaking the hands of people who are really rolling the dice on if they've just been to the bathroom or not um, yeah exactly and this is why i think that we are i i think one of the things to sort of uh come out well from this is is parts of just east asian culture essentially that i think are probably worth taking on like maybe just not shaking hands and having another form of greeting right uh, you know we 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 come from a country where a gentleman might have bowed back in the day, George, or mm. you know there might have been a curtsy to say hello. Perhaps perhaps these are gestures that need a welcome rebrand. <laughs> sure, uh, yeah. But, or like in you know I was in Tokyo and obviously like it was strange because I was hearing things getting increasingly chaotic back home as I was reading them, but. Japan was this strange outlier where they weren't really taking it as seriously as other countries and not even, you know, Taiwan had, you know, got on top of it more. South Korea had been really rigorous in terms of like strategic quarantines and and tracing people's contacts and things. And then like Singapore had got on it as well. But Japan were not really doing much. Um, some people think that it may have been because of the Olympics and mm. that the Japanese were being, the government was being more complacent to downplay how severe it was. Or some people think that it was just not that bad and that they just weren't having a lot of viral outbreaks. But, um, but yeah, they, they now seem to have been like things have gotten quieter in Japan and they seem to be upping, upping the ante more. But when I was there, it was very much like normal life, but people were, like 90% of people just wear the masks on the street all the time. 
Yeah, well, when we were there, and when I was there with you in October, what well before this was even uh, literally existed, right? Like people, the major, vast majority of people wear masks and behave in that sort of distanced way, anyway. Yeah, so it was like when we were there, it just like uh, yeah, it was strange to see people not in a mask. It was almost like ninety five percent now, um, and so yeah, and and I. You know, I, d- I know the mask thing has been questioned as to its effectiveness. Some people now actually saying maybe we've underplayed its effectiveness and they are useful in not spreading germs. But I could see even just once this subsides, people in London being much more um, fastidious on the tube about like maybe you'll see a lot more people in masks, a lot more people being careful what they're touching. Uh, yeah. like- like that, I think will be lingering hangovers, and maybe some of that, some of that East Asian Asian fastidiousness about like hygiene. Uh, well, when you see a mask, people wearing masks in London, it, it usually either is tour like tourists who bring it from cultures that do that anyway, or it is a reaction to pollution rather than in like interpersonal germ spreading. But if that's a byproduct of it, then it it certainly can't hurt, can it? Yeah, and I do wonder because perhaps I mean culturally. It is different, but I, I maybe it is because um, those East Asian countries have had more direct experience of like stars and MERS that, that just didn't really we knew about them, but they weren't they didn't really touch our lives in a significant way. And mm. I wonder if they just have been through more successive health crises like that they've seen in their lifetime that make them more concerned. Because I, I think here we just don't really just even like we're not uh, yeah just even like not most people are very cavalier about germs and things wouldn't you say yeah i, I would um especially in europe where people are more tu- like some certain countries are more touchy-feely and the more like you know we we don't really have a lot of like social distance and a lot of things right people are gathered together in pubs uh, arm in arm george rosy cheeked but obviously like the night. in japan people are crammed into tiny bars super close drinking together rubbing up against each other that still happens right it's That's not true. it's not like they have a culture where people don't touch each other or the tokyo subway Im- imposes this like you literally pushed and squeezed against each other so i do think there is an element of it that it's more sort of social politeness in terms of deference and in with interaction as much as like germophobia um, because it, it's completely undermined as soon as you get on the, on the subway. Right. So I don't, I don't know if it's just our sort of garrulous attitude in the pub is really representative of the fact that we have completely cultural different, different approaches. Um, I, yeah. It's the germ thing is, is difficult. I think it, I think it comes across more with things like pollution, like, Chinese cities have awful smog. You see more people wearing masks. So that also means that if those masks are effective for viruses, they might help as a byproduct. We don't have the same level of pollution to have brought that on board yet. But I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I do, yeah, I, th- I just think culturally we are going to expect more than you know it's very the the jury is very much out on the actual how prolonged and how deep the health effects are from this and and some people are much more optimistic in terms of like they think okay we'll go through several months of this lockdown and then get on top of it and flatten the curve and the growth rate will go down and then we'll start getting trickling back to normal but 
I don't think, I think even then it doesn't really matter. We're going to feel the ramifications of that for a long time. Like psychologically, you can't put the genie back in the bottle quickly. It could be, it could be a year, could be much longer until people feel okay about doing the things they did before. I think it's hard for, it'll be hard for people to just adjust to being fine being in small spaces with tons of people well i think even Um, if if there was a magic vaccine that eradicated it from everyone people would still have that worry of oh well what's the next thing like this right so there will there'll be the kind of latent well there's going to be people out who don't have the vaccine and it could spread again that's obviously going to worry people but yeah it's more it's going to reset minds into thinking oh wow well if that can be spread or next time i have a cold maybe i'll be extra vigilant at not going into work that sort of thing as well yeah yeah exactly and and like international travel right like you may even just think differently depending on which countries have better handled it and have got a lid on it because one country might and another country might still be struggling with this like months from now right or year for years oh yeah the way the way it's gonna it's not like everyone starts at the same point and finishes at the same point i think in europe the the rogue nation is absolutely not the right phrase but like like sweden is the country that are are really fairly lax with their controls at the moment as of as we stand at the end of march whereas denmark where i was living last year was maybe the first certainly one of the first to have a proper lockdown put in place um they share that bridge across the across the sea between the two of them and it's like one of them is properly quarantined and locked down the other end of the bridge people are in bars and pubs as normal um and it's kind of either they're going to be proved right and everyone's overreacted or you know, in three or four weeks down the line, they're going to be well behind the curve and they're going to suddenly have all their cases flaring up. So it's, yeah, people aren't at the same rate of development for it. So it will certainly bear out in the future as to as to how we can yeah. move around and react. And that's sort of what was happening with Japan. It, it, it just wasn't having as many cases as other places. And there were sort of articles that were saying like there should, there was supposed to be a coronavirus explosion in Japan and it hasn't happened. And, you know, I think all kinds of subtle things may, uh, it, it may just be a matter of time and just everywhere will have the exact same experience. Or there may be sort of subtle things that mean some places get it far worse than others. Like Italy has a lot of old people and things like that. Um, and yeah, it's, it's not just system. having a lot of old people. Right? So I think it's like people people have, are very engaged with their elder relatives, aren't they? Or like the elder family members live with younger people. Younger people, like I guess in the UK, there's lots of problems with isolation for old people. Whereas in Italy, maybe if younger people and older people are mixing more, there's more chance that older people are going to be exposed to the things that the younger people have been exposed to as well. Definitely, and that's definitely. Probably why that there's been such terrible numbers seen there i guess yeah um and i think i think the weird you know on a on a obviously taking as read the fact that hopefully everyone we know and love will be safe obviously taking that as as read it's the weird thing about it is just not knowing the length of time that this situation will go on for i think we were saying the other day we were chatting and i was saying like if you knew this was okay, here's the situation for three months. Everything's going to be mad. we got to just stay on lockdown, keep everyone safe, and that's the goal. 
it's yeah, sort of and makes then on the first of August, everyone can go outside mm-hmm. again or something, right? You just set, you yeah, just set a target. It, yeah, and it makes it very psychologically easier to just sort of pick that. And and you might think, God, that's going to be a while, like three months of this. That's, but you sort of manage your expectations. But I think the strange thing with this is just constantly shifting what the goalpost is. And you keep thinking, oh, well, the lockdown, if that works great, and suddenly the UK only has... 20 cases it's like oh great but then you go well what next because again like everyone's not going to change their psychology in that amount of time you're going to trickle back then it might flare up and so you do have this thing where you think oh no this isn't like a two-month three-month thing it's the the ramifications are going to go on where we're going to be at least worrying about it until there's like a mass virus uh either mass immunity or a mass vaccine available um so it's very very weird in that way where it does feel like there is a a pre and post corona world at least in the sort of medium term for like the next couple of years it does feel like yeah you know a moment where the world will change the way it thinks for quite some time definitely Um, i i think (laughs) I don't know, lucky is not the right word, but we can be fortunate in the sense that with we, I say we, scientists have been able to determine what what the disease is, right? They've been able to know what it is, know how it spreads, be able to understand it. That's some relief, I suppose, in this process. Whereas if you think of like the, like the AIDS crisis, right, in the early 80s, that the uncertainty that came with that was just layered and layered and you know, not knowing what it was, not knowing how it would spread, why it was affecting certain demographics and not others, and all this sort of misinformation. We've at, l- at least been able to have a bit more sort of focus on this is what it is, this is how we need to react. It might be an open-ended, not knowing how that will plan out, like pan out, but at least there's been a little bit of sort of structure on we're fighting a kind of common enemy sort of thing. Yeah, and I think very much on the side of gratitude living in this day and age where you have, you know, if you go back to like the Spanish flu in 1918, obviously the technology and science is a world away, but also the world was not globally, there was no global coordination in any sense of this mass sharing of information. And you could see which countries are doing it better, which countries are not. And just now where you have this kind of, mass unleashing of human capital right of like all like all the smartest people in every country sort of working on the same problem it does sort of exponentially increase your ability to solve it and to figure out solutions right where you just yeah it's just eventually this will be handled by science but it's just a matter of time and keeping safe until then but it it does feel it does feel like, okay, this is the time where <laughs> at least we're grateful to sort of be in the thick of, um, you know, good science and proper yeah, or the fact, the fact that people can work, work, like doing this over Zoom, right? People can work together collaboratively to a common goal in completely different places. That's not something that was available before people. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a, a positive in a very negative situation for sure. It just gives you information, right? Seeing how each country, you you start to see which the best best practices are. We've got like constant stream of data as to which ones are having most new cases. So it does create this sort of constant test tube environment where you're seeing which approaches are working. But um, yeah, I, I am an I am a 
I wrote a post, George, on our website that we have now, speakinggenerally.com. Uh, the domain was available and I snapped it up at a bargain. <laughs> and our website, has a, our website has a blog, which I've been adding to. And uh, I did one that was three, three numbers that should determine your level of optimism about coronavirus. Because I was basically saying it's very hard to know my, my optimism-pessimism dial fluctuates wildly as I sort of see different data coming in and hear different um, calculations on how long this is going to go on for. But I think the three things that should determine your optimism would be how bad is the death rate? Like how, how bad is the fatality rate? Because it seems to fluctuate wildly in different territories for many different reasons, like some put it at less than 0.5%. Some areas have had it at like 8 to 10%, which is enormously different. Um, so I think getting clear on that, and, and some experts think the fatality rate is grossly inflated um, because there's tons of cases flying under the radar that we don't know about. And so if you don't know about tons of cases, then you're getting the death rate wrong. Um I think the second one is how certain is immunity? Like how quickly do you get immune after having the virus? Because obviously if lots of people are immune, that makes it a lot more optimistic. And then the third one I think is how many people are currently have COVID-19 but are asymptomatic. Because if tons of people are asymptomatic, then you know that tons of people won't get very badly ill. But I think... Um, yeah, I can't remember the point I was making to begin that, but I think your the optimism pessimism thing I think is a yeah is a is a scale that fluctuates wildly in my mind, sort of assessing this as it comes in. But I uh, I do think that yeah, that's it. I was going to say I'm an optimist in general about I don't know in these crises. I, I think at this time I, I just have an optimism about the amount of human brilliant human capital we are sort of throwing at this problem and i feel like medium term things might be hairy for quite a while and obviously very bad for vulnerable people which is terrible but like long view i feel like it is a solvable equation it's just kind of getting the coordinated and political response behind it right and not not bungling it at the organizational level and you know what i mean like mitigating the deaths yeah, as we proceed to get to that point of course um, yeah obviously different countries are going to have really really different approaches to how they respond to these things right like it's it's a kind of unifying human endeavor but some some states are going to have very different you know outlooks like stronger more in involved governments less involved governments different democratic approaches and stuff so it's not like everyone's singing from the same hymn sheet in terms of how to address things but yeah it's it's quite a, a usefully humanly unifying experience if nothing else to see that everyone's up against the sort of existential threat and uh it sort of transcends politics in many ways. So um, hopefully it, it just brings out the best approaches in people. And that in of itself is another cause for optimism. Um, but yeah, time, time will tell, unfortunately. Yeah. I, I wonder if, um, you know, on that thing of it, you know, uniting people politically, I, I hope that, and this is a naive hope, but I was hearing about a guy called, I think his name is Ross Du. 
do that. He wrote a book basically that just came out called what's his name? Ross Duthat. He wrote a book called uh, about the decadent society that just came out. And he was talking in various ways um, about how our, you know, various forms of stagnation we're in or forms in which society became, has become very decadent and uh, even politically, right, where maybe we are arguing over very um, pernickety issues and getting divided over all these sort of, you know, myriad things. And the sort of naive hope is that maybe this will render a lot of those constant debates a little bit more trite and trivial yeah like bigger problems (laughs) that's sort of a hope where it would be like won't some of those sort of obsessive debate debates we were getting on about like constant language policing won't we like won't they seem a little bit like silly in comparison to a global pandemic um but one can only hope that would be true uh but it does. Yeah, well, it there does. is. Uh, it's amazing how quickly a lot of those constant sort of. I, I like frequent Twitter a lot to see what people are saying, but it's very funny how that seems to have been immediately washed away, and no one's no one's arguing about debates about terminology and language and lots of things. It's it's sort of immediately rendered uh, insignificant to sort of bigger threats. Definitely. I I think also we are, we are very privileged, like where we live in the West, where, where we are, right. And the, the, in other, I don't know, the problem, one of, it's very hard to use the right language, actually, in, in this sort of discussion. But one of the problems that I'm noticing, though, is we've sort of responded to it very urgently, because it's affecting us, if it was just you know, isolated to that one sort of state or province or city in China, we we weren't as bothered about it, right? Until it mm-hmm. until it came here. That that definitely is a factor. But there's also, you know, the tragedies that exist around the less developed parts of the world still happen to exactly the same degree now as they did before coronavirus existed. Yeah. But those things are sort of being well, not swept under the carpet, but it's like the issue that's affecting us and means oh, I have to stay indoors and read my books a bit more than I'd want to is a reason that we're also not, you know, maybe for, you know, obviously loads of, sort of people starving or being affected by mudslides or yeah, malaria. sectarian violent violence and all this sort of stuff. So yeah. it is a, it's a difficult kind of framing device because in many ways people do come together to address a certain issue, but we're addressing it because we're affected by it. We're not addressing it just for the greater human, you know, uh, drive to better each other because there's plenty of issues that we should be addressing if that, if that's our underlying sort of focus. But yeah, maybe if the balance is shifted from the trivial to the sort of impactful utility of of helping others then that that would definitely be for the good yeah um it's fascinating how scenarios like this suddenly narrow everyone's focus where just it becomes very simple right it just becomes like oh i need to get food i want my family to be okay and my people i love and uh you know i want like shelter and to be safe and it's like it, it, it sort of I don't know. It's strange how it strips back. But that's the reality. That's the reality for what probably two thirds of the world's population, like day to day thinking of those things is the sort of living what three hours in the future kind of thing, like dollar a day sort of existence, which is 
so so far removed from the lives we live where we are um yeah it's in many ways a bit of an equal well it's not an equalizer is it It makes you think that it's an equalizer but it's really not because we're talking about oh well we can go back to the pub in six months time um whereas for other people that's of course not the reality so yeah it's i don't i don't know if it if it is an equalizer or not really because we're talking about it as being a sort of transient distract like distraction in our lives um for others it it would just be an additional uh, sort of struggle to cope with among myriad others. Yeah, for sure. Um, um, unlike so I, a- I think it, it got, I just wanted to say like, Please. you know, we've talked about it before that how kind of, I don't know, humbling it is that we've got listeners all around the world and in all these different places. So just, a, you know, like a big shout out to everyone and hoping they're doing all right because people are obviously facing this in different different ways and with different conditions imposed upon them and stuff so we've been super lucky to be able to re- reach people all around the world so hoping hoping everyone out there is is doing okay yeah um yeah and uh do take care of yourselves whatever you're doing and uh be it's good to you know <clears throat> i think we've all learned that erring on the side of caution is a good thing in this scenario so i, I think uh you know May just as long as you're like doing all the things required to take care of you and the people you love, then um, that's kind of all you can do, really. But yeah, to, to the people who are who are on the front lines, as it were, like helping people day to day, yeah, I've got deep admiration and respect for people who are like actually boots on the ground, uh, going out and trying to sort of risk risk infection every day as well. Um, yeah so thank you to those people but um yeah I, on a personal level george have you um do you do you find your your level of like fear or concern is it volatile or do you have you kind of like made peace mentally with the situation and just sort of said well this is as long as it is and i'm just gonna make sure everyone around me is okay and and sort of batten down the hatches and hunker down do you does it sort of daily, do you have a level of like fear or concern or anxiety? On a personal level, I'm not super worried. I'm fortunate that my work hasn't really changed um, in terms of our audience can still interact with us as much as they could before or after. Um, my day-to-day role hasn't changed. I, I work from home anyway. So in that sense, no, not too worried. There's some, you know, fun, frivolous bonuses that have been taken away like travel and certain things like that but i'll be able to do those at a later date so it's it's not the end of the world on that on that front for me personally and um sort of nearest and dearest i i know are safe and okay so yeah from from my fairly cocooned little existence i'm i'm doing okay still and i'm like we said you and i are quite well practiced at at this level of isolation whereas i've sort of been talking to friends who normally are in a, in an office and with lots of people day to day and you know five days after this lockdown started i could tell they were going properly stir crazy you know like texting about oh what group chats can we do what can we do what meetups can we do online and things like that it's like it's been five days guys um, <laughs> you know it's it's gonna get worse for you um so yeah i think I've flipped that switch in my head of being okay to work from home and be fairly isolated and removed like a long time before this started. It's just sort of part of the course for me really. But um, I think you and I said it's having those like really 
basic interactions taken away, I find quite affecting. You know, I'd normally just pop out to the shop and go and buy some chocolate or uh, go for a drive or just go and meet someone for a little bit. They're not huge things, but because they're not they're not big parts of my day, they take on bigger significance. So having those taken away has been, you know, in it's a bit affecting in my in my life, but it's not it's not like I'm a I'm a nurse. So it's yeah, make do and mend for sure for me. Yeah, I think those little interactions do give us more than we realise um, and do a lot for people psychologically, just the process, you know, even for older people, say the process of walking down the street and going to buy some milk or going to get a coffee and things like that. They do they do something for us that is quite intangible and hard to put your finger on, but you notice when they're taken away. But I do um, agree with you that the trend... You know, we talked about this in our introversion episode, that the trend towards society almost getting better for people who are, you know, indoorsy, who are what they call infivores, uh, people who like to, like, do a lot of solo things, like sit and read or surf the internet or play games or hang out at home. Like, there's, there's certain trends that are leaning against people who like going out and doing things and, and in some ways this this pushes them further in that direction right and people like us have almost had the mental training to do what this quarantine situation requires but i do i do think about my um you know my my friends who love who just need contact a lot i do think them being at home on their own is a very difficult experience for some of them and it's yeah it's just strange to think if they (laughs) how they'll endure if this goes on for like several months it's it's sort of yeah i don't know like people really do a lot of people really get a lot out of just going out to yeah just all the time right i know some people who don't like their own company for a few hours and they get antsy and but I, I maybe all these group chat things will be a better substitute than we think. And people will be spending their nights on these little drinks parties on zoom and hanging out, watching movies together on Skype. And maybe that will work tide people over as some kind of substitute for the real thing. But uh, again, on another the, the thing I'm finding really difficult, Steve is, and I don't know if listeners will be able to tell this because the connection here has been a bit patchy during this call, but bad internet connection or bad phone signal I don't think there's anything in the world that makes me more angry. So that, you know, the we said this the other day, you're kind of obligated to take more calls now because there's nowhere else for you to be. But then I'm trapped in a cycle of I have to take calls where I know that the phone signal is going to drop out. I'm at my mum's house in the middle of nowhere. The phone signal drops out and I find myself going mad. And yeah, it's sort of this spiral of having to take more calls, but knowing that the calls aren't going to work very well. It, it yeah. gets me it gets me really riled up yeah that that you're you're a man who's good at maintaining mental equilibrium a lot of times but that's one area where <laughs> you're almost unreasonably uh irrational. yeah i've yeah, become awful i've become an awful person <laughs> so one area where i'm like george is really downright unreasonable and angry in that area um, <laughs> but uh yeah i i find well you know, one little silver lining out of this is I do, I have been speaking to people that I don't usually speak to a lot. And that's been quite nice to actually, I don't I know. I mean, you're, 
you're quite bad, right? Let's I'm be quite honest. bad. I'm quite bad at texting people back. I'm known for being, yeah, very frustrating in that area. But I, <laughs> I have um. There's just some people I've like video chatted and called and have checked in with, and they with me. And it's just like we wouldn't have usually just sat and had a chat, but I'm just sort of seeing how people are and checking they're all right and stuff. And that's uh. I so you're of sort people, of fulfilling your social obligations now, are you? You've I've now finally... decided to become sociable when it's uh, <laughs> when it's become much more difficult. But yeah. but yeah, I, I think people do have this urge, this very human urge to reach out, and it's just some feeling of connect. I want connection, and I can't do it in a normal way. So in some ways, we're just reaching out to people we wouldn't usually, and being like, "Oh, how are you? You're all right? What's going on?" And you kind of want to feel like you're in touch with your circle um yeah, yeah so. I, I do i'm gonna be honest i do think some of it just comes from short attention span it's easy it's easier to just look at whatsapp and go i'll just text that person than it is to go and pick up a book right yeah, or you write something them? or do something meaningful oh right you no mean- i i just mean more in general not you I, it's there <laughs> it's is an element of like, yeah pe- people are bored and a bit antsy and and everyone's got quite a short attention span because that's sort of how our culture is and it's easier to just jerk onto your phone and go, oh, I'll just message them and go, oh, how are you doing? Well, you know what they're doing. You know, they're sat at home as well, right? It's like, it's easier to do that than it is to commit to some cultural engagement or bake a cake or something. Yeah. Maybe um, maybe coming of this, we'll all realize how little we actually need to actually do to feel like, like you might realize, oh, I can. Some people realize I don't have to like be out every Friday night I can actually do stuff and be perfectly happy without going out, spending lots of money. Um, you know, I, I don't know. It's, it, it's definitely, I think some people have said that actually it's easier to stay in at the moment though, because there's just less FOMO because you know, no one else is doing anything. fun. Yeah, definitely. Um, That's definitely true. So in some ways it shows the motivation for lots of socializing is just that. Yeah. You're like people you have need to be fun. part of it. And I'm the sad one sat in my pants on a Saturday night, like a loser. And that's the sort of feeling that people have, right? And uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting our weird motivations for doing things. But um, Steve, can I just, I'm just going to mention one thing that I see on social media that I do not understand. It drives me up the wall. It like makes me a bit physically sick when I see it. Oh, yeah. Do, do share this. <laughs> no, it's when, it's when couples do dance routines and share them here we go what's that what is that <laughs> honestly I, is it all right to say that i on my instagram feed a couple came up on my like sort of just search and i saw them and i have to like swipe it up before i see any of it pan out your it, like, <laughs> your pet peeves are so specific that i, but I come on, does that does that make you happy do you want to see that is that the sort of thing you want to see but it's the idea. There's just so many questions about it that get get me really, really going. The thing is, I know the exact thing you're talking about, but again, it's just it's like one specific thing you see sometimes on Facebook, and the idea that you're getting really annoyed seeing it really makes me laugh. But do you mean like the cup? Do you do you think it's like that sort of we're trying to be an adorable couple sort of thing? Like we're yeah, it's uh, that it's that it's it's the question of one of them has said to the other, "This is what we need to do. We need to share it on social media. People need to see this." They've then gone to a great length of time. It's just what a sort of trivial use of your time to prepare and practice that. 
and then share it publicly so people can tell you how wonderful it is. But it's just a lack, and it's 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 not the people who are creating it initially. It's the people that are copying other people's ones. That that's the ones I find even more difficult to stomach. I think are these like choreographed dance routines, or are they just like yeah, choreographed? That's it's particularly those like a sort of a TikTok dance routine with oh. some sort of zeitgeisty dance move in a sort of well lit well lit couple, sort of Instagrammy couple. It. Oh, it makes me physically ill. Who? Our listeners don't do that, do they? Do our listeners do this sort of thing? Um, well, I mean, we're going to find out, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. By the Send way, I, you hate mail. Yeah. By the way, I realised as you were saying that, I sneezed and I tried to push the mute button, but I realised that won't work because I'm recording not through Zoom. So I don't think that will actually cut out my sneeze. By the way, was you pressing the mute button your kind of way of like covering your arm so that you don't yeah, spread it was the like germs a over Zoom? By the way, people sneeze, okay? Let's just get that out of the way. There's this thing now where there's a stigma, like everyone looks at you if you sneeze. I sneeze every day, no matter what, not because I have a cold or flu, but people now are like, oh, he sneezed. It's like that. Oh. I do that all the time. I do that every day. Um, yeah. yeah, but uh, anyway, so far, so far, so good. Um, but yes, TikTok. Don't give us something you see on social. Oh, what? Fine. Give us something that you see on social media like this that that really does you in, Steve. Don't make me just the only bad guy here. Um, well, I <laughs> um, things that annoy me. I mean, I'm more annoyed by um, people who do. I'm more annoyed by people who do their like personal grievance story on social media. Who do their very specific. Uh, you know, this happened to me and I just I just wanted to get it off my chest. This is the day I had. And I find that, I know people like to use right. social media for that way, but when it's sort of like this, I, I, but I sort of find it funny and it's sort of, I'm almost addicted to it, but even though I find it uh, cringy, but people who go like, okay, just to like talk about the day I had and I just needed to say it. Like on Twitter, people are really overdramatic and it's sort of very, um, I don't know, people like to be very, I don't know what if there's a word for it, but it's it's like reveling and indulging in some specific yeah. feeling you've had. And like, there I said it, I just had to say it today, Twitter. And it's like suddenly got like 50,000 likes. And like, Jesus, like, can't believe yeah. it. Well, it's um, also, it's just like, there's, all, there's millions of people that have had a worse day than you. But the fact that you can share it on your computer publicly with other people yeah. sort of tells you that you're probably not doing that badly. And it'll be like, yeah, I know I'm not supposed to be upset and I'm not supposed to complain, but I had this terrible day and this happened at my job. And it, yeah, I just find those things very much. You can nakedly see the desire for people to come and soothe you. And I just find it very unusual that people do that on a public forum like it's just so not me to do that so it's very opposite to my personality which is i don't want to bottle it up i don't (laughs) bottle it up the english way but i i don't like want to put my like open wounds online and be like so i don't know it makes me uncomfortable Mm. uh well there we are the it's two of our two of our big hates. <laughs> big hates. You're more offended by 
I, I find cheesiness and cringy stuff. I do cringe at it, but I sort of find it funny in the same way. It's like it mm. doesn't make me angry. I'm sort of laughing because I'm cringing, and they are they're doing it earnestly, but I'm cringing. But I sort of find it funny for that reason. But you have a more visceral. <laughs> Reaction. It makes me feel fit, like I ga- I actually gag sometimes. I gagged this morning. I saw something, <laughs> and it was just like it's so predictable as well. You know exactly the sort of little dance move tropes it's going to be, and you see them. And yeah, I I actually retched a little bit at one of them. Um, wow. Oh, uh, by the way, the the thing I'm saying as well particularly applies to celebrities. I see do it as well when I mm. see celebrities do a sort of here's my personal day tweet that that for some reason that makes me cringe more and I, I don't know what it is i think it's the sort of you know like all the celebrities did the imagine cover and everyone just hated it um Gal yeah, Gadot, i, I, Gal I have, haven't been able to watch i haven't been able to bring myself to watch it but i'm aware of it yeah, yeah like gal gadot and lots of celebrities did this cover of john lennon's imagine together and everyone just said it was like the most cringy thing and really didn't capture the mood or tone at all. And it just seemed like this sort of self-indulgent, you know, thing in a crisis. But it's that sort of thing. I think it's when the, yeah, we talked about celebrities before, but the sort of earnestness, I'm going to be just naked and show my wounds. And they do a sort of very po-faced, it's something about that. It really makes my skin crawl and I find it, um, yeah gross but you know to each his own yeah that's your taste um mm. what uh well steve maybe that brings us on to what what we've really got on this bloody episode four which was to sort of spread some little cultural treats that people can tuck into while they're stuck at home please mate <laughs> uh, me, i have a list me, of films feed me up a list of books um, the films I picked, Steve, are films that I thought would give people a nice kind of um, sort of trip away from the home. So some different locales, some different yeah, different atmospheres and vibes that we can't currently indulge in ourselves. Um, the first of which I'm going to start with, Steve, is a film called A Bigger Splash. It was the film made by the director who made Call Me By Your Name um, before he made Call Me By Your Name. And it's the first of a kind of unconnected trilogy, which I think it just involves people languishing around really snazzy swimming pools in nice Mediterranean locales. Um, So if you enjoyed Call Me By Your Name, you'll definitely enjoy A Bigger Splash. It's set on an island off of Sicily. Um, Rafe Fiennes is in it. He's absolutely fantastic in it. It's one of my... maybe my favorite Ray Fine's performance just plays a wild hedonist uh and um yeah wonderful Tilda Swinton's in it as well she plays a, a recovering rock star but if you want a sort of splash of Italian sun sat by the pool um yeah those kinds of holiday dreams that we're not probably going to be able to live out for a while then definitely check out a bigger splash I actually saw the poster and uh, some stuff of that when it came out, and I thought, oh, I, I think I'd enjoy that. But I'm glad to hear it actually got a good review from you, so I'm, I will check. Yeah, it out. I, it, I really do think it. It's not Ray Fine's best performance, but it's it's more the juxtaposition of the character he plays in this versus you know 
Voldemort or Nazi camp commandant or whatever, the fact that he can play these extremes of yeah. different characters, even though he's a fairly straight down the middle, kind of middle-aged, like posh Englishman, to be able to embody these different roles. I think it was really impressive. It it was a role that should have had should have had more sort of critical or award season praise, I think. Definitely worth checking out. It's not as good as Call Me By Your Name, I don't think, but it's cut from the same cloth and the first two thirds particularly of the film are excellent. Uh, Kraken, I'll check that out. I'm excited for that now. Uh, what have, have you got? Do you want to go eye for an eye or shall I just rattle through? Well, you sort of prepped these, whereas I I wasn't yeah. given a heads up on these. So you, you rattle through and I'll see That's if... It's my fault, is it? Is a little bit, but I mean, um, sure. you, you rattle through and I'll see if any come up for me. Okay, well, the next the next one I'd like to recommend is probably the best film I've watched in the last three months. It's McCabe and Mrs. Miller. It's uh, a film by Robert Altman, who did Gosford Park, um, Nashville, another great film, plenty of others. But it's, I think, from 1971, and it's a kind of anti-Western and really epitomizes the sort of new Hollywood period of direction but uh, Warren Beatty and Julie, Julie Christie set in the early 1900s up in kind of pioneer frontier country in America uh, and he's a sort of have-a-go businessman and she's a madam at a brothel and it's about them pairing up and trying to make the best of their times but it's just amazing it's set in beautiful landscape in I think Oregon maybe Washington State um it, it was filmed in a kind of chronological order as the film pans out, which is quite a rare thing to see. It's got an amazing Leonard Cohen soundtrack, beautiful cinematography, the way Altman uses his cameras, sort of like prying into scenes and these like pans and tracks and zoom shots. It's fantastic. If if you like a Western or you don't like a Western, I think it ticks both boxes because if you like a Western, it has many of the original tropes. And if you don't, it also undermines the sort of standard Western tropes. There's a lot of sort of cowardice and um, tragic male figures rather than sort of brave lone cowboy character and that, that sort of stuff. So, yeah, amazing landscape, amazing scenery, great plot, great cast. Yeah, check it out. It's also, I think, maybe the first film that used like really heavily overlapped and layered natural dialogue. So if they're in a bar, you can hear the people in the background as much as you can hear the the main cast. And that really jarred when it, when it was first released. But um, yeah, adds like a layer of natural realism to the film that uh, you often don't get on the bigger studio set sort yeah. of ap- approaches. Yeah, highly recommended. McCabe and Mrs. Miller. All right, great. Um, uh, an- another from me? is the film Cold War, which is a black and white uh, European film, I think Polish film from about three, two years ago, three years ago. It's about um, a couple and their relationship through the sort of 60s, 70s Cold War period, um, starting in the Soviet Union and then spreading into Europe. Um, but it's, it's just beautiful. It's, it's like a music director and a young singer and it's about the different sort of Russian Russian countries, different sorts. It's not about, but they visit different aspects of the Soviet Union, and it's about how they've they've kept their relationship together in the sort of testing times of that period. But it just gives you an insight into sort of beautiful resort. They go to Paris. They go to these sort of 
sort of seaside resorts, but they also start in a very impoverished kind of Polish farming community. Um, beautifully shot. It's <laughs> it didn't sound. It doesn't sound from my my recommendation. They're like the 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 best, the most exciting film to watch. But it really is. It's it's very funny, very buzzy, really well acted. The director previously made a film called Ida, which was about a, a oh, nun. Yeah. Um, sort of a nun who'd been through some sort of tragic times and this is a, a lot more of an up-tempo film than that but similarly beautiful and yeah an insight into some great landscapes and scenery that again probably not going to be able to see for a while in person who is that director again oh, pa- powell Palo- palowski something like that I'm, i don't have his name off the top of my head but uh, a double p polish name powell something huh. i'm googling it now steve uh, if you just Google Cold War, it doesn't go straight to the film, shockingly. <laughs> uh, what's his name? Oh, this is great. Pow- yeah, Powell, Powellikowski. Again, not pronouncing it properly, but yeah. It's from 2018. Fantastic. Highly recommended. Um, okay, wonderful. Um, I'll give some very random recommendations, George. Go. Um <laughs> Uh, well, if you want one that's more indulgent in the current situation, uh, you definitely have to watch Ingmar Bergman's classic, The Seventh Seal, which is literally set <laughs> in the Black Death, the plague. Uh, soldier Cheer coming it. back from the Crusades, uh, dealing with a sort of concept of death, mortality. It's sort of a philosophical classic, well worth a watch. That's if you sort of want to revel in the atmosphere. Uh, if you want someone, something, do you, do you think that film's? Do you think that film's enjoyable? Yeah, I, th- I think it's a great film. Yeah, I do. I do. Uh, do you think that's the same thing? I think it's a great film, but I don't think it's enjoyable. Oh, see, I actually enjoy that film. Uh, so even the the twenty the twenty minute scene of the the sort of jestery pratfall, the jestery pratfalls of the guy getting out the back of the wagon and doing some sort of chumpy, chumpy sort of medieval stand-up. You think that's enjoyable, do you? I, I enjoy the whole film. I'm into all of it, George. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, also recommend, uh, just for a just one that I thought was a good film I watched uh, fairly recently. Have you seen, do you like Noah Baumbach, George? Yeah. Um, I very much like his film While We're Young. Uh, have you seen that one? Yeah, that's fun. Yeah, uh, that's, that's the and Stiller Adam Driver one, yeah. Yeah, that's sort of fun, frothy one, a sort of couple who are sort of uh, more middle-aged, uh, Ben Stiller, and sort of meets this younger couple and is kind of jealous of them, but likes their sort of joie de vivre and bohemian attitude to life and sort of try to copy it. And it's quite a... Uh, yeah, it's it's quite funny and enjoyable. Uh, sort of a lot more frothy in these times. Um, Certainly frothier than the Seventh Seal. Fr- much much frothier than the Seventh Seal. Um, yeah, and uh, also if you just want a good series, cracking series, we've talked about it before, George. But if you haven't touched Fargo, I think it's a good time now to crack on season one of that. If you've not touched any of that series. Uh, just a really good one if you want. Like, I've, I've never seen it, so that's that's definitely on my to-do list. Oh, you haven't seen any of the new Fargo? 
I've not seen this TV series at all. Yeah, yeah. Well, definitely that's on Netflix. Um, yeah, season one is the best one and it's a self-contained story. So you don't need to watch like all of them and have a whole intimidating series on your hands. It's like season one, 10 episodes. It's a great 10 hours of television. Um, Lovely. Um, all right. Um, I've, got, I've got three books, Steve. I can just blast those out if you want. Blast your books. Uh, the first one is Call of the Wild by Jack London about a dog going up to Alaska. Um, it's really, really good. I'd, I hadn't read it when I was a kid. I read it fairly recently. And it, it, it captures the voice of a dog perfectly. And it's set in amazing scenery and surroundings. It's like 100 pages long. And it's, you know, if you're trapped in a flat and can't get outside at the moment, it's a great way to connect with the outdoors. I think it's just been made into quite a disappointing film with Harrison Ford and some cgi but ignore that and just read the book instead it's it's wonderful uh all right great um the second book is oh it's very good it's called the long take it's by robin robertson it was shortlisted maybe definitely longlisted maybe shortlisted for the booker prize maybe two years ago um Oh, it's fantastic, Steve. The pitch, not not super exciting. It's like a verse novel. Like immediately gets gets me a little bit suspicious, but it's phenomenal. It's like a film noir told in poetry, um, but like a proper narrative story rather than a collection of poetry. And it's about a guy of who's just returned from the Second World War, Canadian soldier, and he's living in the US and he's splitting between New York and LA, San Francisco, and in the sort of late 40s, early 50s. And it's, yeah, uses poetry to express film noir. It's super cinematic. It it revolves around the underbelly of Hollywood and there's some like film noir actors and directors crop up in and out of it. It just captures a mood and a place perfectly well. Um, yeah, really, really beautiful book. Very different to many of the other things I've read before. Um, so yeah, if you want something different that also captures that sort of sunny, washed out underbelly of the American cinema experience, then definitely recommend that. The long take. Nice. I feel like your recommendation is very good for a little. Um, yeah, I guess I guess people want things maybe now that make them think of the outdoors and big, expansive. You know, yeah. Adventure, well, so I've, I've got one more that I, I hope fits that bill as well. It won the. Pulitzer Prize last year um it's the over story by Richard Powers uh which is the one people would I guess know about as the book about trees in which trees are in many ways the main characters as much as the humans um it's just it's really a very impressive piece of fiction super well researched really gripping for again as boring as that premise sounds it's it's amazingly well done well researched it has a sort of I don't know, environmentalist message running through it. Um, but just as a narrative, it's, it's super gripping. Um, yeah, a, a really impressive, impressive book by an impressive writer. He's always been in and around sort of big prizes and he took the Pulitzer home last year and justifiably so. It's a big book, but we've all got a lot of time on our hands, Steve. So yeah, highly recommended for sure. The Overstory by Richard Powers. Wonderful. Well, I've got plenty to tuck into now. I'm, uh, you got any books for us? Um, well, again, you put me on the spot. Um, mm. I, uh, 
I, well, I'm reading a fantastic book about Einstein right now, George. And uh, okay, if you if you if you at this point want to get to grips of any of the sort of big names, uh, Steve Jobs, Einstein, Ben Franklin, basically pick up any of Walter Isaacson's biographies because they are always excellent and supremely readable. And I feel like they just give you this yeah. incredible overview of entire lives of great people. He did one on Da Vinci most recently. Um, I Is really, Einstein an older one? Einstein's an older one, but um, as someone who's just always wanted to understand all the context of what he discovered, it's it's just a fantastic book that's between, you know, scholarly and the layman. Um, it's detailed. It's yeah, it's it's great. It's, they're always gripping his books. Uh, so if you want any big biographies, get any of his. Um, also probably just a bit of jolliness right now, George, probably a bit of PG Woodhouse, like a right ho Jeeves Jeeves or code of the Worcesters are sort of two of the great Jeeves novels. Um, you know, they're, they're very English. They're purely light as a feather. They're pure comedy, but they are some of the funniest writing on the page you'll ever read of just funny use of language. Um, completely unserious but always like brilliantly plotted and fun and they're, they're just like perfect escapism i think in well, his, his how funny he is sort of distracts from how great a writer he is right he's potentially the great prose stylist yeah um, it just happens to be that he's writing about you know chumps doing silly things um of no consequence but his his prose is just magnificent and yeah definitely the the funniest funniest written prose and it it sort of stands up to reading out loud as well often that doesn't doesn't work but his his stuff's just magnificent genuinely laugh out loud funny uh writing on the page and uh yeah it's uh and it's just silly problems of upper class people just silly sort of farces and things with like upper class people in england uh so i think those are jolly escapism and uh if you again, if you want to revel, George, in a situation, um, a book, there's a book, a French book called Our Rebour, uh, which translates as Against Nature, um, by I think it's Carl Hussiemans. Is it? Have you heard of this book, George? Yeah, uh, Hausmans or Hussmans. Yeah, Hussmans. I don't know how to say it, but I know who you mean. I don't, I don't know the French way of saying it. Um, but uh, oh, sorry, Joris Carl Hausmann, Hussmans. Um, but uh, it's just about a man who decides to retire from society. He's an eccentric, <laughs> eccentric, reclusive sort of aesthete who just wants to sort of surround himself with his own artistic, beautiful things and sort of live in the life of the mind. And, and it's, a, it's an odd book. It's a very unusual novel, which makes it kind of stand out. But it's, yeah, it's literally about him sort of making that decision and how he how he thinks and feels about it and what it does to him uh so it's like a very interesting uh for for the solitary reader uh <laughs> it's a fun little bit of indulgence in these isolated times uh but Wonderful. Don't, go, don't go too far with that get a bit of the woodhouse to sort of as a tonic to that um definitely you, know, you don't want to you don't want to get too reveled in it um, well, um, Steve, speaking of little tonic pick-me-ups, I've got, for the first time on this podcast, a re- recipe recommendation. Okay, keeping your days busy. Go on, then. Come on, don't say it like that. You're a man who loves to pop out for a coffee, aren't you? You just can't, you just can't 
can't have your day without popping out for your fancy coffees. That's no, I know that's you all over. I love it. Yeah, and you do love it, and I know now everyone's sort of stuck at home. You can't get out to the coffee shop. You can you can make a lovely sort of filter coffee, or if you've got a, an espresso machine, you might be able to ramp things up. But this is Steve. Your ears are going to prick up even more because this is a South Korean recipe, and it is certainly Instagram friendly. So it's ticking both of your boxes. Okay, um, it's called. I think it's. I think it's called Dalgona or Dalgona. It's the easiest recipe in the world. And it's something that I would think everyone has in their store cupboard. Cause at the moment, a recipe will be, Oh yeah, you're stuck at home, you know, get in the back of the store cupboard and get out your, and it will just be all these ingredients that no one really has. Um, whereas this is actually very makeable for everyone. You need two tablespoons. This is for one portion, two tablespoons of instant coffee, two tablespoons of sugar, and two tablespoons of warm water. Put that all in a bowl and whisk it for, I don't know, three or four minutes until it forms a sort of stiff meringue texture, uh, not dropping off of a spoon. Then take a glass and fill half of it with either warm or cold milk, and then spoon the coffee mixture on the top of it, um, and you're absolutely cooking. It's fantastic. It's like a sort of sweet coffee mousse that, uh, you could eat with a spoon like an ice cream or mix with the milk below it and make it into a, a lovely kind of frappuccino-ish sort of beverage. Um, yeah, check it out. It's called Dalgona coffee, but it's super easy to make and it will brighten up your little day at home for sure. Is it is it is it hot or cold? Sorry. The mousse you make is is like room temperature. But right. if you serve it with warm milk, it can be warm or you can serve it with chilled milk. Maybe George, dare I say, I put you on the spot and you uh, you knock that up into a little blog post on our new site. Oh, here we go. Go on then. Just a little. Go on then. How to make Delgona coffee, a la George. <laughs> so you're you're going to be writing about sort of statistics and like epidemiology and all this sort of stuff, and I'm going to be popping up with a few little recipes of mine. This is it. Speaking generally, something about everything, baby. <laughs> that's the that's the remit. Go on. All right. I'll, I'll rustle that up in a bit and I'll, I'll pop her on the site. All right. Wonderful. Um, I'm going to get more frothy on the site, as it were, pun intended. Um, <laughs> so we'll, we'll mix all flavors in there. What's the website address, Dave, for the listeners? Speakinggenerally.com. Fabulous. And we're making advertising revenue on that? or? Um, well, I'm, I'm talking to some people. I'm pitching. It's uh, early days. What's my, what's my cut? It's hard to pitch with four blog posts on there so far, but I will. Yeah. Uh, when when your recipe when your recipe smashes it out the gate, then uh, then I'll then the offers come in, baby. Fabulous. Uh, okay, well, um, right. it's been it's been good to chat, Steve, and obviously stay safe out there, everyone. Stay indoors. Get hunkered. Get reading, get watching, and uh, wash, look, wash look, bloody, look after everyone. Hands. Yeah, wash your hands. That's <laughs> what they say. Keep the keep those suckers clean. Keep those mitts clean. You filthy, filthy <laughs> pup. Um, all right, take care, everyone, and be safe. Follow all the proper precautions, and uh, yeah, we will check in soon. Um, more to come. We won't all be doing. It won't be all Corona all season but uh we might check in on this again see an update of how we're doing um i mean probably won't be that many updates right i'll just be still at home still reading 
but yeah but one of us know, might have cycled we'll the best of it one of us might have deteriorated psychologically so it'll be fun to sort of <laughs> see who cracks first um sure something to keep a watch on isn't it um good stuff right. thanks george cheers boy take care everyone bye sit up